The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. And what we found in that work is that within any given hospital, patients who were treated by IMGs, this again in the hospital general medicine setting, the 30-day mortality rate of those patients tends to be lower. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This episode of Annals on Call features an article titled U.S. Immigration Policy and American Medical Research, the Scientific Contributions of Foreign Medical Graduates. It was published in the Annals October 17, 2017. Joining us is the senior author of that paper, Anupam Bapu Jena, who's the Ruth L. Newhouse Associate Professor of Healthcare Policy at Harvard Medical School and a physician in the Department of Medicine at Mass General Hospital. He's also the host of a popular podcast titled Freakonomics MD. Joining us also is George Abraham, who is the chief of medicine at St. Vincent's Hospital. He's professor of medicine at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and the current ACP president. He's the first international medical graduate to hold that role of ACP president. Thank you so much for joining this podcast. Bapu and George, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. What stimulated this was an article that Bapu's the senior uh, author on about U.S. immigration policy and American medical research, but it really leads into the whole question of the contribution that international medical grads have to healthcare in this country and to the scientific process in this country. And when I was thinking about it, I recently gave a talk about my career, and uh, part of it was who were my role models and mentors from medical school. And I hadn't thought of it before, but one of them was from the former Yugoslavia, and one of them was from Turkey. They were both international medical grads, and yet there were no international medical grads in our medicine residency, but these two gentlemen that I revered uh, were that. And since then, I've worked with so many international medical grads uh, that are close friends and mentees. And so that really struck me that we need to have a conversation about this. And I think it would help if we start to go over how many uh, IMGs are in the U.S., what do they do, and sort of the early stuff. And you did a lot of these statistics, Bapu, so maybe you could start on that. So, you know, about a third, a little bit less than a third of uh, physicians in the U.S. trained in an international uh, medical school, trained outside of the U.S. There is a slight, slightly higher uh, percentage of IMGs, international medical graduates, in rural and uh, historically underserved areas. You know, but we're not talking about double the number. We're just talking about a slightly higher, but noticeable, noticeably higher presence. In terms of specialties, now, the specialty breakdown is pretty similar to the non-IMG population. It's not so different. 
And we had done some work. Uh, I think the paper that you're referring to was was written around the time that the Trump administration was thinking about and, and perhaps even implementing immigration bans. And so that got my colleagues and I interested in this issue as it applied to, you know, the practice of medicine, where obviously internationally trained doctors are a huge component of the of the labor force. And that's not just true of doctors, by the way. We've done some other work that looked at the prevalence of all sorts of other healthcare workers, whether it be nurses or physician assistants or respiratory techs, anybody who works in healthcare. And there's a large number of healthcare workers who were born and trained abroad as well. George, as the current president of the American College of Physicians, you recently wrote a a very, very nice president's column on the importance of international medical grads at being one yourself. Maybe you could just add to your how internal medicine embraces or doesn't embrace international medical grads. Yeah, thanks, Bob, and a uh, pleasure to meet both you and Bapu on air like this. Uh, this is wonderful that you're focusing on the international medical graduates, and I'm so grateful because uh, the college is the professional home for internal medicine and its subspecialties. And about a third of our membership are international medical graduates. The largest majority come from India, but there are others from the Caribbean, Pakistan, Philippines, Mexico, etc. And the college has been a professional home because uh, internal medicine is by and large where the bulk of the international medical graduates go to about 45,000 of them in that and its subspecialties. And uh, it's a home in a number of different ways because there's more of the people who are of international medical graduates in that category of folks here in medicine that they sort of feel that kinship, they feel the alignment to their original training. So most of us who've trained overseas have probably trained uh, much as Bob, you as a revered teacher do teach every day to your medical students and residents the importance of clinical medicine. And so coming from countries where people pay for their care. And so we are restricted by how much of ancillary testing and imaging we can order because people have to pay out of pocket. We are forced to think more, use our vision and our hands and use our uh, thinking to sort of pull things together. So it's a different training. And so when we come here, we feel more at home with that same sort of intellectual or cognitive aspects of medicine that internal medicine provides. And in addition, seeing the potpourri of people, we feel closer to the patients because the patients we take care of hail from different countries. And so that cultural bond as well as the collegial bond is what draws us most into internal medicine. I don't know if you have any data on this, uh, Bapu, maybe you do, George. We have a lot of IMGs. Do they match at all the programs or are there some programs that almost ban IMGs? And does this have an impact on U.S. grads? So that's a, those are loaded questions. Great question. Maybe I'll start off, and Bapu, I'm sure, will have more statistics to offer. So as an IMG myself, when I've applied to the number of programs I applied to compared to a U.S. medical grad is uh, on a logarithmic scale, probably about four or five times more than what a U.S. medical grad has to do. I have to cast a wider net in order to be securing a reasonable set of interviews so I can secure a rank list. And number two, most university programs somehow don't invite international medical graduates. And uh, there have been articles written which have questioned whether programs feel that by bringing international medical graduates, they somehow lower their standards and that they weren't able to recruit enough U.S. grads. And so therefore, some programs see that as being a negative aspect and so choose not to. 
So most international graduates end up in community-based programs and where they do provide uh, excellent care as well as they uh, definitely contribute to the environment. So definitely that is a disadvantage to the international grads. So where they probably compete for are the US-based international graduates. So people who've trained in offshore or Caribbean schools sometimes compete for the same spots and may find some competition. I'll stop there and let Bapu pick up. I agree with all of that. And you know, one question is what what drives that? So some of the things that you mentioned, George, I think are, are absolutely correct. The other is this, uh, there, there, sometimes it's a sentiment that the training is substantively different and the quality of the doctor might be different. And we've actually looked at this explicitly. We, we looked um, in the inpatient setting at doctors who trained in, in foreign medical schools, so IMGs versus non-IMGs. These are domestic medical graduates. And we looked at the outcomes of the patients that they treat. And the reason that we focus on the inpatient setting is because by and large, in that setting, patients don't choose their doctors and doctors don't choose their patients. So you have this sort of natural randomization or natural experiment, as we, as we say in economics, where you can start to try to say, you know, this is about the doctor as opposed to differences between different types of doctors in the patients that they treat. And what we found in that work is that within any given hospital, patients who are treated by IMGs, this again in the hospital general medicine setting, the 30-day mortality rate of those patients uh, tends to be lower. It's not a lot lower, but it's measurably lower. So there is at least some work, and, and that's supported by some other work as well, that suggests on a quality basis that there is no evidence that IMGs, uh, at least in this particular setting, which is a big setting, inpatient general medicine, are of any lower quality. In fact, they could be higher quality. And that would then go back to, well, why might that be the case? And, and, and I'm always struck by, you know, what is it that makes someone leave their country, leave what they are familiar with, and, you know, sometimes come thousands of miles across the world to set up a new life? And we are in medicine, and we focus on this issue as it pertains to IMGs, but it's probably a generalizable issue. No matter what walk of life you're in, no matter what occupation you are in, the fact that you left somewhere that was certainly a familiar environment to you with friends and family and just got up and moved, that tells you something about that person. And those features probably correlate well with a lot of characteristics that we want to value. This is what's so interesting. It's much more difficult for uh, international graduates to get a residency slot. As George has described, yet in your study on American research, even though they're not getting into the university programs, they're ending up being part of the university programs and doing research. Could you talk a little bit about those statistics, Babu? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, we have done and others have done some work looking at quality of care of um, IMGs, but there's another thing that many physicians do, uh, and that's engage in research. It could be engaging in research through writing scientific publications, which could reflect original research. It could be through participation in clinical trials. It could be through raising federal grant funding to do research. And what we did in, in, in our study in, in Annals of Internal Medicine is we basically looked at all academic positions in the United States, and we identified where they went to school, so were they IMGs or non-IMGs. And then we just looked at some basic measures of non-clinical academic productivity. So for example, what fraction of um, professors in US medical schools trained um, abroad? It's about uh, 18 to 20%. So let's say call it roughly a, a fifth. Uh, if you look at things like NIH grants, clinical trial leadership, publications, you know, roughly a fifth of all publications, roughly a fifth of NIH grants, clinical trials that are run in the US 
are run by IMGs. So that shows that the contribution isn't just to the practice of medicine and, and, and not in, only in community settings. I mean, these are individuals who are contributing to the generation of scientific knowledge that benefits everybody, no matter where they are. My experience has been uh, that there's certainly a subset of international grads, and I think this is what George was getting at, that have a special fervor for success and for, and I think this is part of the immigrant experience. The, the immigrants and the children of immigrants are pushed a little bit harder sometimes. Uh, at least I felt that from my mother. I don't know, George, you, you've worked a lot on this and thought about this issue that's how it seems to me. And you are spot on. You are so correct. And, uh, you know, we look up to immigrants because we know that they've had to come here and work harder because you're starting from one step lower. They're financially not on the same footing. They don't have the same degree of assets. They don't have the education in the same degree of schools and, and the language skills and the cultural know-how to integrate into the system. So they work hard to assimilate and be a part of the system because they want to be successful and they want to be inspirational to their next generation, their children who are going to grow up in the same system and uh, become a part of the system, so to speak. And fortunately, the U.S. is uh, generally has been immigrant friendly because it's a country which has been built on immigrants from all over the world and especially the coasts the East and West Coasts are much more diverse with heterogeneous with so many different nationalities that people tend to gravitate along the coast, especially immigrants, because they feel more home because of the diversity. So you are 100% correct. So people are willing to work hard in general, and people are willing to put in that extra effort so as to be able to gain the same footing or make up, sort of catch up with what they lost in terms of their education from back home. What do you say... And I know you've written about this, George. People say, well, we, we shouldn't let international medical grads in because it's harming their country. It's a brain drain. And so it's not good for their country. And I think we, we always get into this when something is good for the U.S. or who are we harming? It seems to be a, a normal refrain. How do you answer that? I think that's a great question. And then it uh, reverts back to, for example, two different settings. So uh, I'll talk about my own experience. So my wife is from Singapore, so we settled in Singapore and uh, I worked in the medical system there. But being a small country, there is limited uh, opportunities for people to rise up the rungs and you're waiting for people uh, more senior to either retire or leave the system so as to be able to rise up. So there's sort of a stagnation at the bottom. And that's so for most developing countries where unfortunately populations are large enough where they produce such a lot of trainees that uh, there probably aren't enough opportunities in the system. So the folks who are more enterprising or entrepreneurial or probably brave or cavalier or whatever we might use in an adjective, choose to move off uh, from their zone of comfort and to launch out into the deep, so to speak, and uh, look to get assimilated into a new system. So even while I'm here, I still collaborate with uh, my colleagues from my medical school and from other national medical organizations in India. I provide expertise. I provide resources in terms of access to literature, access to newer technology, et cetera, which they may not have. So in some ways, I'm paying back the system for what I gain from it, having been in a better place and being in a better place. And often that is helpful as well. So not a complete brain drain, but definitely potential for that. 
And Bob, I, I would say like it's an attractive idea. It makes sense, right? But I, I'm not actually aware of of good rigorous evidence that this brain drain phenomenon causes consequences for the healthcare system or for patients, right? I mean, to study this, you'd have to show what happens when immigration opens up in a country so that doctors leave. What happens to clinical outcomes of patients? Are they training fewer doctors? Who are the doctors who then replace them in the pipeline? At its face, an attractive idea or, or scary idea, depending on how you think about it, but it's an intuitive idea for sure. But whether or not that actually occurs, what are the qualities of the doctors who then end up replacing the doctors who left? Are they better? Are they worse? The presumption is that if the brain drain argument is true, that they are worse, but I don't actually know that's the case. Uh, it's a question that one would have to study. So back when you wrote the article about the uh, immigration policy in 2017, it's now 2021. Are we still having problems with immigration policy? And let's talk about organized medicine. How should we be dealing with advocating in this space? So George, I would, I would be curious to hear your input. I, I will say the following, that early on after that, uh, the, the immigration ban, there was some concern, and I'm sure you both would, would, would have seen this, but there was some early evidence and concern that foreign medical graduates were more reluctant to, to come here because of uncertainty over what would happen in the training process. Uh, how that's now played out four years later, hard to say. In terms of the advocacy role that medical schools and healthcare systems and organizations uh, should take, I mean, I think it should reflect the fact that this is a workforce that's extraordinarily valuable to the healthcare system and the patients that it treats and, and to the scientific processes that these organizations are often uh, involved in. It continues to be an issue, probably a little more challenging, primarily one from numbers because of the number of folks who apply. And number two, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, pre-COVID you had to show up here for face-to-face -face interviews, take your clinical skills examination here. So there's a significant cost associated with that. People often take loans uh, because this is unaffordable on the exchange rate for most countries in the world coming into the US, the dollar being so strong. And so to be able to spend those thousands of dollars, not only take examinations, uh, travel from city to city in the country to uh, go for interviews, et cetera, and then come back again in a few months later when they match to a program. So there is, it's not an insignificant cost and that probably excludes a fraction of folks who might be capable, but just can't financially afford it. And then once in the country, same, the challenge of working through residency, getting into a fellowship, if they were to go for subspecialty, or most people because of visa requirements end up working in underserved areas for a certain period of time. But the whole visa process of securing one, having to go through a whole uh, underserved process, et cetera, and takes years sometimes to be able to get a, a permanent residence and then ultimately citizenship to be able to incorporate into mainstream is very arduous. And so from the advocacy side, uh, the college has been greatly uh, concerned about not only this in terms of the rigors and the difficulties and the challenges, but also the fact that many of these physicians work in underserved areas and with COVID, the concerns that if something would happen to the physician, their spouse and children would essentially have no local standard in the country and we have to, have to leave because their visa is so contingent on the physician alone. And so that among many challenges are what the college continues to advocate for because the process needs to get easier. I'd like to finish just by talking about prejudice. I happen to work in a, a very strong academic program where we have always had 
percentage of international medical grads. And our experience is that uh, this makes us more diverse. It makes us wor more worldly. We learn a lot. Uh, some of the things that you mentioned earlier, George, about being better at, at physical diagnosis. Uh, many of those people have stayed on our faculty and are helping us do better. But there's a lot of prejudice at many uh, academic centers and many people have prejudice against international medical grads. And I think that's an important prejudice for us to fight. And I'd love both of y'all's thoughts about that, uh, given the great contributions that international medical grads uh, make to internal medicine and all of medicine. I'll start off and then have Bapu end off, but you're absolutely correct. Uh, I think uh, we see that in subtle ways and not so subtle ways, and you've nailed it. Uh, we view the same viewpoint as you have, which is that they add to the richness of our experience. Uh, in our own program, we have a, a significant uh, majority of international medical graduates. We have these holiday fests where everybody brings a dish from their own country. And it's just fascinating to go through gourmet different foods, uh, hear about different cultures, different customs, et cetera. It's fascinating. So we have, uh, uh, we re definitely enjoy that. Our patients relate that extremely well, given the diversity of cultures and linguistic backgrounds. So sometimes these residents connect very well because they either speak the same language or have the same cultural background. And so there's a much better rapport with patients that way. So, but we do definitely see that in um, subtle and not so subtle ways in terms of the challenges of securing positions promotions, academic promotions, other contributions to the hierarchy, even getting into college leadership or other leadership positions in the country, it's much more challenging. So we definitely need to be more sensitized. And thank you for doing this podcast, because I believe this is the way we sensitize others to some of those great values that you highlighted today. I'll, I'll let Bapu end off. I'll just say, first of all, uh, Bob, I think you're probably thinking the same thing as me is how do we get invited to one of these holiday fests where we can have all these different meals, <laughs> you know, one, one day post pandemic. But I, I think um, just from a data standpoint, which is where I often um, sit, you know, we, we spend a lot of attention, rightfully so, on understanding issues of prejudice and bias and structural causes for those with respect to things like race uh, and gender. But I'm not aware of many studies that look at this issue in the IMG population. And I'm, I'm absolutely sure there is significant bias that occurs against physicians who train abroad in a lot of different ways. And those hurdles, I think George nicely articulated, happen very early on, and they probably continue throughout people's careers, and they probably create perceptions of inequity among those individuals who are often sacrificing many great things to come to this country to practice in the first place. And so from a sort of data and evidence perspective, I would really appreciate seeing more about that because that's not something that I've seen a lot of work, uh, work in. Well, thank you both for uh, joining me on the podcast. I think we've had a wonderful, wide-ranging discussion and uh, I couldn't thank both of you all more. Thank you so much for having us. This is a fascinating topic and thank you for highlighting this. Uh, I personally am grateful to you for your leadership in this. Yeah, thank you. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. As we discussed in the podcast, international medical graduates make important contributions both to healthcare and scientific discovery in the United States. Their contributions are very important and we have much to learn from our international medical graduate colleagues. They make us more worldly and give us a viewpoint that we might not have without them. 
We hope you've thought about this and enjoyed listening to the podcast. For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.